What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Before we begin, I'll say that this is the last episode of Season 1. I'll be taking a few weeks off, and I should be back on August 1st for Season 2. Before this summer hiatus, though, we're going to take a look at sacrifice and what that word really means. These thoughts of sacrifice occurred to me while I was listening to the podcast The Secret of St. Kilda. I recommend this podcast. It's well done, and the little revelations at the end of season one are surprising. But there's a theme of sacrifice in St. Kilda's that, especially after a couple of the season-ending revelations, seems to be not quite the meaning I had of what sacrifice is or what it's for. Am I going to spoil the first season of St. Kilda's? No. Suffice it to say that this is both a recommendation and a heads up, but the end of season one might have you asking the same questions I did. Chiefly, I started thinking about what constitutes sacrifice, what the word means technically, and what it's come to mean culturally. One meaning of sacrifice is basically that something desirable is given to someone or something that will then provide equally desirable gifts in exchange. Perhaps we sacrifice an animal to our gods in hopes of a good harvest or a gentle winter. Is a single animal a desirable enough gift to earn a whole harvest or a whole season? It seems a bit mismatched, but for people who have little, Letting go of even a single animal is a significant loss. It's a sign that the people making the sacrifice are willing to give up something substantial in exchange for what they're asking. And this willingness, in theory, will translate into a deserving of good things from a more powerful entity. But over the millennia, sacrifice has come to take on a slightly different meaning, or at least a different tone. Look, for instance, at the ancient Aztec culture, which routinely sacrificed absolutely huge numbers of people to their gods. I wasn't there, so I won't impugn their sincerity, but their sacrifice of people that they frankly didn't seem to miss suggests that they weren't sacrificing something precious to them in exchange for their gods' kindness. For a small village to sacrifice a sheep that might have helped them get through the winter seems meaningful. Sacrificing hordes of humans, whether you plan on eating them or not, doesn't sound like they're giving up something that matters. They might be making a sacrifice, but they're not sacrificing anything themselves. 
Did their sacrifice make the sun come up or improve the harvest or give the Aztecs victory in battle? Since the sun's still there and crops are harvested all the time, and the Aztecs and countless other groups have risen and fallen in war and politics, the ritual killing of all those people may have been unnecessary. But this isn't a history podcast or a religious podcast. It's a podcast about the stories we tell. So what do our stories tell us about sacrifice? Let's start with the one most closely tied to our example, Apocalypto. In this film, we don't just get attention to physical detail. The humanness of the characters is extensively fleshed out. Even in scenes with people we don't really meet, we can see how they feel, how they interact, how at the end of the day they're people just like us, with different technology and fashion, but the same range of emotions, the same egos, and the same fears. When we meet the Aztec conquerors who were snatching up villagers on their travels and bringing them back to be sacrificed to the gods, we don't see a group of people who are in general evil or insane. We just see people. We do, however, meet a couple of Aztecs who might be a little evil and a little insane. They certainly seem to love their work of putting people on the sacrificial altar, tearing out their hearts, and throwing their lifeless bodies down the stairs. I'm not saying people shouldn't enjoy their work. I am saying that the film presents these sacrifices as attacks on the neighbors, as murders, and the ones performing the rituals are presented as taking delight in the offerings. If sacrificing something means giving up something that matters to you, that you'll feel the loss of, that you'll miss, then the Aztecs in Apocalypto don't seem to be sacrificing anything. Their neighbors are sacrificing their life's blood, but not willingly. If the sacrifice is neither willing nor valuable to the offerer, is it in fact a sacrifice? Apocalypto suggests that it isn't, that the neighbors need to escape if at all possible, that the killing of tens of thousands of people didn't prevent the Europeans from invading, and freedom from involuntary sacrifice is the whole story arc of the film. Apocalypto is joined in this assessment of sacrifice by a slew of other films, both good and bad, whose villains are trying to sacrifice unsuspecting visitors to some deity or other. B-movies of the 60s gave way to slightly more mainstream offerings like The Children of the Corn and The Reaping, and more recently, the Paranormal Activity series. The Reaping is an excellent example of the problematic meaning of sacrifice. One of the characters in a Christian church that seems perfectly normal and straightforward is a young, very pregnant woman. When asked if she wants a girl or a boy, she says it doesn't matter to her. We've all certainly heard that before. As long as our babies are healthy, the gender isn't necessarily an issue. But the main character begins to put puzzle pieces together, realizing that the reason the pregnant woman doesn't care about the gender of the baby is that she's planning on sacrificing it to the demon who leads their church. She doesn't care what gender the baby is because she hasn't bothered to become attached to it, because she knows it's going to be killed. 
Is that then a true sacrifice? If she doesn't care about it, and won't miss it once it's gone, has she really given up anything? And if she hasn't really given up anything, then would an exchange from their gods, or demons, actually be earned? The reaping deals more with escaping and defeating the demon rather than on the significance of the sacrifice, but one might argue that they might have succeeded in their demonic plans if they had actually been willing to sacrifice of themselves. Children of the Corn and the Paranormal Activity series also involve a lot of involuntary sacrifice of innocence by the wicked. They all suggest that the ones doing the sacrificing, a.k.a. the murders, of the unsuspecting are the bad guys, that the prizes they seek from their gods are not the benevolent communal wish for a good harvest or an easy winter, but are instead for evil things, for selfish things, for destruction and pain. What about Midsummer? There are sacrifices both willing and unwilling in this film. The sacrifices are for the sake of the community, for the good harvest, etc., but half of those killed had no idea what they were getting themselves into. The community does honor their deaths, though, grieving for them as much as for their fellow villagers, rejoicing in their part in this sacred ritual as much as for those from the community who volunteered. And in the end, when the May Queen selects the final sacrifice, the ambiguity of the ending lies partially in that question. Is she selecting the outsider out of revenge for how he had treated her earlier? Or is she honoring him by making him the linchpin of what is in fact a very important ritual? In any event, Midsummer seems to be saying that sacrifice from ourselves is better than sacrifice of others. Even those sacrificed unwillingly had been brought there by villagers who were in fact their friends, who were losing those friends by offering them up. They were losing something important to them, and they felt grief and joy in equal measure. There's room then to say Midsummer involves true sacrifice, people giving of themselves for the sake of their community. But for those who focus on Midsummer as a horror film, would point to the fact that half of the sacrifices were brought there under false pretenses, just like the unwitting travelers in Children of the Corn. And that sort of thing, in film at least, is frowned upon. So what sort of sacrifices do we prefer in our stories? What sort are the good sort? We can start with Dragon Slayer. In Dragon Slayer, the villagers sacrifice one of their fair young maidens twice a year to the nearby dragon, hoping that this will keep the dragon from killing everyone. So far, it seems to have worked, and the sacrifice is conducted by a totally fair lottery. But Princess Elspeth realizes that her name has been kept out of the lottery by her father. She feels terrible about this. She rigs the next lottery so that only her name is in the jar and apologizes for the unfairness that had until then been perpetrated on her fellow villagers. Even as the hero tries to save her, she's determined to make up for that unfairness, deliberately offering herself to the dragon. Does her sacrifice work? In the context of the film, does her sacrifice lead to good things? 
it does leave the hero and his helpers to destroy the dragon once and for all. But the shared decision by the village to willingly be sacrificed had also led to the fairly good thing of not being eaten all at once by a dragon. The part of Elspeth's sacrifice that sticks most with us isn't that she gave herself to the dragon so that it wouldn't attack the village. It's that she wanted to make up for the inequity she had been an unwitting part of her entire life. We're touched by her rejection of her father's privilege, and we feel the loss of her then more than we did for those nameless girls who had been sacrificed by lottery before. Elspeth really, really gives of herself, and we recognize the importance of that. We see it as a more meaningful sacrifice than that of the girls who were offered up by a king who knew he had no skin in the game. Let's turn to the movie Constantine. We meet John Constantine and learn pretty quickly that he's damned to hell. Even though he's a good man who does good things, he's damned to hell for having committed suicide. He was brought back to life in the ambulance, and even knowing that he's damned, he remains a good person who does good things. But the sin of suicide apparently can't be washed away, and he's doomed for all eternity for taking his own life. Then, at the climax of the film, he remembers that Lucifer said he would come to collect John's soul himself when the time came. This gives John an idea. He slits his wrists, killing himself, again, so that Lucifer will come up from hell to fetch him. In so doing, time is stopped, and the villain's nefarious plot is exposed, and everything is saved and set right. And because John had taken his own life for the sake of others, his actions are viewed as a sacrifice, and he has earned his way back to heaven. Constantine is making a fairly obvious statement about the role of sacrifice, that taking the exact same action that got you damned to hell before can now get you into heaven, as long as you're doing it for others instead of for yourself. Of course, the film is saying a billion things about the nature of good and evil and religion, etc. But for us, we'll just focus on the value of a sacrifice from himself for others' sake. Because he's willing to die, again, for his loved ones and for the world, his offer is viewed favorably by the entity whose benevolence is requested in exchange. We think John's clever and cool to have thought of this, but he's also selfless. He didn't know his plan would work. He was just willing to lay it all on the line for the good of others. And the film rewards him with both salvation, life, and health for his trouble. There are literally thousands of stories about this kind of noble sacrifice, but we'll only look at a couple more examples, Terminator 2 and Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. At the end of Terminator 2, the Terminator realizes that his own existence jeopardizes the timeline he and Sarah and John have just fixed. He chooses to melt himself in the foundry. The scene is emotional. The audience doesn't want him to have to go. John and Sarah don't want him to have to go. And the Terminator himself doesn't want to have to go. Even though he can't experience emotion as a human would, the Terminator indicates that he understands now why John cries. 
His time with humans who were under his protection has caused new algorithms for him. His programming won't allow him to self-terminate, so he needs Sarah to lower him into the molten steel. In this way, all three of them have voluntarily sacrificed for the sake of the world and its future. At the end of Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, Spock makes a similar call. Only he can withstand the radiation long enough to bring the engines back online so that the Enterprise can escape. He doesn't waste time saying goodbye or explaining himself. He just acts as quickly as possible to save his ship, his crewmates, and his friends. He does get the chance to say goodbye later, just before he dies of his injuries, which only highlights the significance of his sacrifice. Both he, his best friend, and the rest of the crew have lost something extremely valuable by losing Spock. Their loss is so significant, in fact, that they're willing to give up even more to get him back. So what do all these examples show? What are these stories trying to tell us? The primary thing, the most obvious thing, is that sacrifice for the sake of others is something good. But right behind that is the assertion that sacrifice is best when done from a willing heart for a worthy purpose. When sacrifice is made of the unwilling, by the unconcerned and unattached, for reasons that are selfish and or negative, those stories are classified as horror, as murder, as bad. But when the sacrifice is made by the willing, from themselves, for the sake of others, those stories are seen as noble, as good. It doesn't seem to matter what we sacrifice. It matters more why we sacrifice, and from where. Is a life we take to which we were not attached, like the pregnant woman in the reaping not caring at all about her baby, or the Aztecs in Apocalypto cheerfully disemboweling prisoners? Is that really a sacrifice at all? If these examples are any indication, it's not really a sacrifice. The dragon is slain, the world is saved, the future is safe, the ship gets away. The times when a character has given something that is truly a loss for them result in happy endings for the others in the story, and sometimes even for the heroes. The times when a character is sacrificed against their will, and by people who won't feel or care about or even really notice their absence, those stories end badly for the ones who were hoping for favors from their gods. If you decide to listen to The Secret of St. Kilda, maybe think about this. In the end, who has really made the sacrifice? Who has lost or given something valuable? Who will be favored by their gods? And if you decide to consider how these stories might inform your real life, you might ask, who in your life has made real sacrifices of themselves for you? And who in your life, perhaps at your expense, are hoping to get something for nothing? Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. 
If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.